Welcome to Wealth Well Done. Together, we'll cover a wide range of important topics surrounding money and the impact it has on our lives. From the sophisticated and highly valuable planning techniques of the ultra-wealthy to the commonly underutilized biblical teachings. Together, we'll work to improve our relationship with money and our effectiveness in stewarding it well. Here's your host, Eric Scoville. Hello, and welcome to the second episode of the Wealth Well Done podcast, where we dissect money with leading experts from the financial industry to help you get tactical, practical, and spiritual advice so you can do your wealth well done. I'm your host, Eric Scoville. Let's jump in. All right. On this episode, we are going to do an overview of the practical pillar. And what we're going to lean into here are these these um, items that are very easily overlooked when someone's doing a financial plan, when someone's executing their financial uh, decision making. These are things that they make sense. They're logical. People are going to, you're going to have an easier time to agree with them. But as you do an assessment of yourself, you're very easily, uh, you're very likely to have some of these issues that that are that are just being um, just kind of not paid attention to. And if, and if you're not careful, then these things can create bigger problems down the road. So let's jump in here. Um, like we said, we're kind of covering a, a ton of info these for these first few episodes at a kind of going a mile wide and an inch deep at first. And then we are going to continue to tackle each one of these at a, at a, a much deeper level as we move forward. Um, this full disclaimer here, you know, anything that we're talking about, you know, you're going to have some of the guests are going to be licensed tax professionals and attorneys while others are not any strategies or suggestions that we give here. These are things that are, um, generic and informative and they're meant to, uh, help challenge you to understand the other options that are out there. But anything that we talk about here would definitely encourage you to, um, work with your own team of licensed professionals, uh, to decide if these are good strategies for you. So. The first topic with this is, is on the individual side. We're talking about the individual here. How do we get healthy with money? And so there's so much focus around trying to acquire more wealth, uh, you know, just this insatiable need for more that we have. And um, I, was at a, I was at a Kingdom Advisors conference here in Florida um, a couple of weeks ago, and the, the speaker asked the question, how much is enough? And so in this room, you've got 2,000 plus financial advisors representing probably nearly a trillion dollars, if not a trillion dollars of assets that, that they help oversee. And when you ask them how much is enough, you're, you know, people start going to this equation. Well, we know we need this much, you know, standard, you know, person needs this much for retirement. And, you know, you start doing the math in this. And then that's when the speaker kind of stopped and said, how much is enough? Jesus. Now, when you think about that, like, it's a, it's absolutely true. And, and whether you're there or not in your own spiritual life is, you know, a different story. But when you start to think about as a believer, um, the idea of if you have Jesus, then all the rest of these things that they're, they're just vanity. They're worldly things that, that it's not to say that they don't matter at all, but they just have a relative unimportance compared to having Jesus. I just listened to a, an incredible sermon. There's a pastor I really love listening to called, um, or his name's Joby Martin with the Church of 1122 in Jacksonville, Florida. And he just did a sermon on to live as Christ. And in that sermon, referencing the uh, Paul's words of to live as Christ and to die as gain, he just helped bring into perspective the freedom that comes when all you're trying to do is to is to just pursue what, what Christ has called you into and be in, be in the hands and feet of Jesus and not worried so much about all the things of this world. So obviously as a financial advisor, I help people in the things of this world, but 
ideally, while we're also help, while we're helping you do the things of this world and helping you acquire more wealth, we're also helping you to find freedom um, in, in it as well, freedom from the money and, and getting healthy with money. So as we talk about this, that's that's kind of the, the framing that we're looking for here is how to help you get healthy with money um, while not, not discounting the fact that we do want you to have more as well, but just for the right reasons. And so right now, like, you look at this, why people want so much more, you know, you've got this like Instagram style competition and just, you know, there's, you know, all of the stuff around cultures and movies, music, and I referenced the uh, athlete contracts before, you know, these nine figure contracts. And when you just see everyone else is getting so much more, how do I get more? And it becomes that, that when I say the Instagram style, it's just this competition piece where you put on your best face and tell it, make everyone believe that, that that's your normal. And that way it just causes people to feel like, they're not enough anymore because they don't have that that picture perfect uh, lifestyle that's being represented there, or they don't have those those things. And just creating this um, this whole you know envy system that we have here, you know, coveting coveting our neighbors' assets. And so that's something we really want to be aware of. Um, you know, kind of gone is the day of the Sabbath uh, in, in American culture. You know, it wasn't that long ago that we had you know national rules and city rules around that. Uh, but really, when you look at it today, you've got Chick-fil-A, Hobby Lobby, and not very many other uh, corporate entities that are actually trying to honor that, honor the Sabbath or, um, and even people as well. You know, everyone's got side hustles. Rarely do you see people who just take the whole day to celebrate God and to just be off because we have this feeling like we need to get more. We need to get more done. We took on too much work. We've got a side hustle. We've got these other things. And there's just too much to do. We're too busy. Kids are too busy. Everything's too busy to actually spend time, you know, in a real Sabbath. So that's something that we really you know, need to think about when you start figuring out how do you get healthy with money. Um, another big thing is, you know, how much time is spent around money. Because you have you know, your 8 to 12, you know, 16-hour days that people work. You know, you, people wear that how long they work as a badge of honor. And you know, instead of sometimes, you know, might be might be a little bit wiser to actually see someone who's working that much, unless it's just for a short season while they're really leaning in hard and admire them for that. But but if this is something they're doing on a regular basis, there might not be a lot of wisdom there if someone's putting in those extremely long hours. But when you're not working, you know, people spend time managing their assets, whether this is their accounts, you know, making trades or reviewing the accounts, spending time with financial advisors, um, or even just managing the actual assets they have if they have vacation homes, if they have other, you know, vehicles other property that they that they have as well you know a lot of time goes into managing those those assets so the more you have the more time it takes as well as you know just planning you know planning your life and typically involves money we think about the budgeting that goes into a vacation or into the purchase of a vehicle or into what you're going to do for children from an allowance standpoint or from college all you know money just becomes the the center of so much of our thinking and if we don't have a healthy perspective on money you can see just how much of your life can be out of whack with that. You know, as a financial advisor, one of the things that uh, people come to me for is they want me to kind of help engineer out all the risk and variables inside their life. And so someone builds up a higher net worth and now they're looking for how do I protect from that? You know, so I'll have a meeting with their insurance agent to help understand, you know, what coverage they have and how do we make sure that we have a higher level of protection around them. And so those, they're good tactics, good things to do, but it's just important that we never you know, get so independent that we don't need God anymore. And so getting, um, getting to this space where if you've ever had a, you know, financial advisor running, run a Monte Carlo test for you, which is basically 
what's the likelihood that you're going to run out of money or succeed um, in your you know in your retirement? Um, you know, most people they're trying to figure out how to get to the hundred percent success rate. How do we just guarantee that we're going to be set? And and that's uh, you know this whole idea of um, financial independence um, is it can be a myth here if you're if you're trying to take it from a perspective where you're trying to engineer out every possible outcome that could come against you. And again, I, I want to focus on the heart here and say, where, where is the heart at this? What is your heart? Is your true trust in money? Is your true, tru- true trust in your government? Your true trust in your W-2 job? Or is your true trust in Jesus? And so that's something that you need to be um, aware of. As we get into the retirement piece, um, you know, so many people, you know, come in, you know, I don't think I have very many clients who want to work past past their 50s. And so you, or if not before, and you know, you ask, well, then what are you going to do with your time afterward? And if someone says, you know, well, I just want to, I'm just so sick of this job. I just want to go sit on the beach and sip margaritas and, and, and not do anything else, just kick my feet up and just relax. And that is great for a season, but um, we're not built to to not work. We're not built to to do nothing. And so when that happens, you see a lot of health effects come into this. So, so when someone loses their purpose in life, you often see, and when someone retires, especially if they retire early, you typically see a, a fairly steep decline in their health, um, you know, within the you know next five years after that. And we're just meant to have a purpose. So whether that's serving in your local um, food pantry or just finding something else to do, maybe it's pouring into the lives of grandchildren or some other charity. It doesn't need to be work as we typically define work, but we are designed for a purpose. Uh, Hebrews, Hebrews 6, 10 through 12 gives a reference to this. This is Paul speaking to the Hebrews here, and he says, for, for God is, is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And this is just one of one of the main scriptures that just talks about like to the end, like we, we, we're supposed to continue doing that work till the end. If at 60, you retire and you now lose your purpose, what what purpose does God have for you anymore here on this earth? And so the idea is that you continue to stay relevant and useful, committed to serving God uh, for as long as as long as he chooses to keep you here. Obviously, also inside the the concept of getting healthy with money, you've got physical health. And so there's a lot of physical um physical health issues, you know, either positive or negative that can come with this. If someone has enough wealth that they are able to engineer freedom into their schedule, then they can take time to work out, take time to go for walks, take time to um, actually spend money on their health, eating better food and taking better supplements, having better care for their life. Uh, But a lot of people turn that the wrong way. They spend too much time working. And when they spend too much time working, it typically has, you know, severe adverse effects. This is where you see a lot of overweight in um, in executives inside companies. Uh, very high blood pressure is another very common one. Um, and, you know, beyond the physical health needs of people not spending time working out or even just going for walks and giving themselves peace, you also have the mental health. You know, worries don't leave as your net worth grows. It, it doesn't take much looking around to figure out that more isn't the answer. When you look at, there was a survey done with people um, ranging between $50,000 a year of income to into the multi-millions, you know, think four or $5 million of income. 
And when you when you ask them how much, what would be enough for you? What what's the right salary that would help you to get finally get where you need to be? And almost all of them say that two times the amount they have now. If I could just have double the salary, that would do it. Because then I could do this, I could do that. You start thinking of all the things you want to do. And if it was just about two times as much as I had now, then that'd be enough. And it's just so interesting that whether someone's making $50,000 a year or $5 million a year, I still feel like if they just had about two times what they have now, then they would cover everything they'd need to. And so definitely more more isn't the right answer. There's a study published by uh, Bankrate and Psych Central that said 42% of U.S. adults say money negatively impacts their mental health. And, you know, this is things like looking at your accounts too often. This, this isn't just people who who don't have money. This, this is also people who are of uh, plenty of financial means. And so looking at your accounts too often, the social media comparison trap I referenced earlier, um, raises and focusing on raises, focusing on what's fair and getting enough for it, or even cash flow, um, especially for small business owners. If you if you own a small business, um, you definitely know about the, the constraints of cash flow and just the pressure that creates on someone. And so this this negative impact on on mental health that you know being unhealthy with money creates lost sleep, depression, anxiety, substance abuse. These are all big things that that typically come around with people who um, aren't healthy uh, with with the way that they approach money. So that's a lot of talk on the individual. Another big component of of getting healthy with money is is in your marriage, and this is actually one of the main reasons I got into the financial advising career in the first place. When you look at marriage, um, the, one of the biggest issues that people have inside marriage is is money. When, or when you look at some of the biggest issues around fights and disagreements inside marriage, money is one of the main contributors to that. And so um, we're not going to talk about God's design of marriage, although I certainly have opinions on that. You know, this isn't about gender and you know, or you know, genders and things like that inside marriage. Um, but what we're going to talk about inside marriage is like man's role as a provider. And that I have nothing against women who provide. I've got nothing against men who stay home. That's not it at all. But just understanding the way that God created it, when you understand um, that that you know the man is is intended to work and is intended to provide. And and again, just want to be really ultra clear on this. You know, there are tons of circumstances that can go into something that that cause um, cause things to not you know this may not apply to a certain person. Um, but in general, in general, God designed um, God designed the man to work, and he and he's supposed to be the provider for the family, and that creates a ton of pressure on a lot of men that that you know struggle with that. Um, but it's it's important for us just to understand what God's design is. There, it's important for us to understand that a woman has a desire for security, and so when you understand that, again, there are strong women. I. My wife is incredibly strong. I've got two daughters. I love the strength of women. But at the same time, if I, if I, as a man, can understand that my wife has a desire for security, when I put her through the strains that I put her through um, financially, when I went into entrepreneurship, that was, I had to understand the, the, the issues that I was causing for her in doing that and, and not, not hide from that. that is, I am messing with her desire for security. And that's something that she is looking to me to provide. And so from the financial security perspective, we had to really lean in on this and understand that the, the trust has to be with, with God. This We have to be on the same page of, of, of where we feel like God is leading because otherwise I am failing to meet one of her needs that she had. Um, so we're going we're gonna to dive in deeper on that. We'll get some you know, marriage experts to come in and help us understand that better and hopefully 
uh, be a little bit more eloquent in their speech than I am with <laughs> within that piece. From a cash flow standpoint, uh, inside marriage, you've got this whole idea of managing spending, and it's incredible how most marriages have one person who's a spender and one person who's a saver. And obviously, there's a conflict there in nearly all marriages. Um, so managing spending in the right way, not being overly frugal or overly uh, frivolous. The idea of to budget or not to budget, that's a huge one inside marriages. Because again, if you've got a type A engineer personality who's got spreadsheets lined up and and we've allocated how much we're going to spend on toothpaste for the next three years, that clashes with someone who doesn't want to be told what to do. It feels like a budget is is someone you know being imposing on them. So again, finding out finding out what works for a couple different different um, examples because it's not going to be there's not just one thing fits for every couple, obviously. And so we'll have someone come on and just really help us understand the different types of of um, strategies out there for people to decide if they want to budget, if they don't want to budget, or or what a blend might look like there. Again, back to the the business owner side of this thing. If you have a you understand that if you are a business owner, uh, there's a there's a line that I think Vern Harnish said in his book Scaling Up that says growth sucks cash, and a little play on words there, but but growth inside a business is incredibly expensive, and so understanding that the constraints that that puts on cash flow is is huge. In terms of inside your marriage, managing debt—you know, good debt, bad debt. Um, most of you should be familiar with with what we're talking about there, with good debt, bad debt. Um, but how do we how do we decide where we stand on debt? Because Bible says the borrower is slave to the lender. Um, but mathematically, you know, with with interest rates, you know, at least where they were as of a year ago, it's it's changing now. But as as a year ago, you can talk about mathematically, it makes all sense in the world to have to take on debt and use some leverage to uh, to increase the the investable assets you have based on the how cheap borrowing was. So uh, get into that good debt, bad debt. Um, also talk you know, very specifically about lines of credit, um, which is something that as you, as you grow in your net worth, you, a line of credit may be extended to you and understanding the right ways to use that and where that can get dangerous as well. This whole, you know, I referenced a little bit of this time spent and, and the whole workaholic piece of this is when you have a lot of working parents who, you know, and this is probably even most common amongst men who say, I, I work so hard to provide, provide my kids with a private school, you know, my, you know, nice car, vacation home, the nice, the nice, all the nice stuff, you know, that way my wife can get, you know, buy all the, you know, clothing and accessories that she wants. But if they just want time with you, then the money that you're providing for them is it, it almost it just it's just become something that is nearly worthless to them and or even has a negative impact on them, and so we want to address address the time of the amount of time spent inside marriage as well. And so if you can get healthy with money, you can understand that that you just providing more money is not the answer um, to a lot of you know what your family may need as well. Um, again, I referenced the whole idea of a Sabbath before. But Sabbath is something that very few people do these days. And if you can if you can dig into that and study Sabbath and figure out how to Sabbath well, that that has tremendous impact not only on your spiritual life uh, and your physical health and mental health, but also especially in your family and in your marriage too. Last one inside the marriage is, is giving and how important it is to be on the same page there. You might have someone who is wildly generous and wants to give away 50% of their income and someone else who thinks that, you know, if you give away 10% of, of the amount of money we have, that's that's taking food off of our table and that's just taken away from our, our family. And so just really digging into how do you how do you assess giving and approach that in the right way so that way um, husband and wife can get on the same page there moving forward. Next one for 
uh, for affluent people and trying to get get healthy with money is, is revolves around parenting. And so if we think about as as you see, uh, especially business owners or or people of of high you know executive level positions, the sometimes their kids can wind up just becoming an ornament to them if if they get so wrapped up in the the success of their business, so wrapped up in the lifestyle that it creates or in the and the friends that they feel like they need to hang out with just to maintain the the networking side of things, um, the kids are often um, they're, they're left to to kind of pay the price for that. And so, um, one understand how to how to parent well with with a high income or with significant means. Um, what how do you raise driven kids and wealthy families? Um, in in the last last episode, we talked about how few family uh, businesses actually make it to to like the fourth generation. And, and when the fourth generation doesn't know where the money came from, you know, you normally can't recite what your great grandmother's maiden name was. If you don't know where the money came from and the, the work that it took to, to make that happen, and that's not real and tangible to you, then you're not likely to have as strong of a work ethic yourself. And so how do you raise driven kids in wealthy families is a, it's a really important one. Um, we, we talked about the idea of your kids that if you have a trust fund, you often rob them of character building opportunities. So if you are, if you have significant wealth and your kids see you flying first class everywhere and you're able to pay their way onto the sports team that they wouldn't have made otherwise or keep them from needing to get a job or buy them a new car instead of the, the one that, you know, the clunker that has the, uh, <laughs> You know, whatever type of issue that you want to describe inside those vehicles, um, that that causes someone to have to build a little merit, a little metal. Then those are things that we you need to figure out. How are you going to create those opportunities for your your children to develop their own uh, grit inside, where they can they can perform well in a world that doesn't just roll roll out the red carpet for them. Big thing around is paying your kids, and so. Whether there's a tax savings, especially to business owners with this, if you were to pay your children and we can help you understand the the uh, tactical components of that on the practical components of that is really what that does for a child, whether it's the paying of your kids through the business or paying them an allowance. There are there are a lot of different approaches to that. And so we'll have a, a um, parenting expert come on and really dig into the the psychology behind your kids receiving money from you because there, there are pros and cons both ways. You can certainly set up Roth IRAs for your children if they're in earning income from a business. And from a very early age, your kids can be saving into a Roth IRA. By the time they're 18, they could have their own self-directed IRA and buying real estate or doing all the other you know, private equity type investments through, through their Roth IRA. And what an incredible advantage that can be. But again, needs to be needs to be handled right and and what's right for one children, one child or one family may not be the same for the next. Um, there are lots of great banking products out there for kids to help them understand, help them learn how to, to manage money better, help them uh, learn how to invest uh, as well. So there, there are a lot of great products out there that we'll call your attention to. And then on the college side, uh, what's, the future of, what's the future of higher education? And you know, there, there's a lot of people who are looking at YouTube and looking at other uh, virtual reality, augmented reality type uh, learning to see just how effective these uh, these tools are outside of the typical higher education system. Now, certainly higher education has bought into those and is, is bringing that to the table as well. And there's a lot of value there. But if you don't need a 
degree because you're a civil engineer or in the medical profession or some other profession that requires the degree, uh, what, what will the future of higher education look like? And so that's something we want to talk about. And along those same lines, are you going to use 529s to, to gift to your kids? Obviously, there are tax, be- tax benefits to that. Um, but there are, so you got the gifts, there's penalties with this and understanding the usage of how, how you can actually go about a 529 plan. And then the, from a college standpoint as well, debt and loan forgiveness. So, um, probably a lot of people are going to be listening to this that are in the medical profession that have racked up a fairly significant student loan debt, and that might be on the pay or the repay system. So, um, helping you understand how we would go about these strategies for, for student loan repayments as well is another big one that we'll we'll address here when we talk about college. Some other practical conversations that we're going to be having, one's going to be around generational transfer. We are getting ready for the largest wealth transfer that's ever that's ever happened inside the U.S. When you think about um, what's happening, you know, as the money transfers out from the baby boomers to the next generation. And we'll look at, you know, I, I mentioned before, there's a difference between wealth transfer and estate planning, but we'll look at trusts that are set up for special tax purposes and not necessarily the true enhancement of the life of the beneficiary. Most beneficiaries view their trust as a burden, not an enhancement. And so we want to help you understand how to go about setting up a trust in a way that that truly benefits the life of the beneficiary rather than rather controlling them from the grave or or anything along those lines that that create too many um too many issues inside inside the trust. There are there are very strict trusts that do a great job with this, and there are very strict trusts that do a terrible job, and vice versa with you know with loose trusts and somewhere in between. So we want to make sure that we illustrate exactly what your true cares cares are and concerns are for the trustee, um, and that you know may be done specifically through the legal wording, or it might be a cover letter that you add to your trust. But either way, it's going to take intentionality behind that to to help you take the time to do that because. Most of the times we're just so busy, we're trying to get this thing done and the next thing done and getting the estate plan checked off your list is just one of those things. But it, mu- it would be better suited if you were to take some time and you know read a book and I've got good books to recommend uh, and, and listen to some good teaching as well on the the other ideas of how you can do a trust better to make sure you hand- do this generational transfer of assets down uh, in a way that that uh, really sets up the next, you know, not only the, the generation that's receiving it now, but the, the generation following them as well. So we talked about this. You never want to pass down wealth before passing down wisdom because, you know, generation two saw your work ethic, generation two being your kids. Generation three heard about it from their, you know, these are your grandchildren. They've heard about it from you. They've heard about it from their parents. But generation four, they, they don't, they just don't know where the money's come from. And so if, if they don't see that, you need to be extra intentional of how you set them up with a healthy, a healthy view toward money. And this gets into the whole trust fund beneficiary standpoint too. You know, so trust fund beneficiaries typically have, they've got higher um, rates of substance abuse, higher rates of depression and suicide. And this, this whole idea of, you know, when we talked about those character building opportunities, what made, if, if you are the, the person listening right now, if you are the, the generation that has created the wealth, what made you successful? If you think about that, most most people will talk about the the grit and determination they had to get through when they were broke, when the bank wouldn't give them a loan, when the you know when the economy crashed and it did this to the business, um, whatever those things are. You know, we had a you know I w- walked up school or walked to school five miles uphill both ways in the and the you know blistering cold of, of of the snowstorm, like those things. You know, those things that obviously we you know, maybe embellish them as time goes on, 
But those things that help make you the person that you are, we want to make sure that anything inside a trust fund, you know, if you have children or if you're handing wealth down to future generations, you need to help them have those opportunities, not to punish them, not to push them to some, you know, spot that, you know, push them to the brink. It's not that at all, but we need to figure out a way to help them achieve some of those um, or have some of those achievements themselves. That way they build up an identity of who they are and that they're not just the child or the grandson of, of some great person. So that's that's what we're going to focus on inside the practical pillar. Uh, next week, we will get into the spiritual side of this. So again, tactical, practical, spiritual, those are three ways that we want to address address your wealth and how do you how do you manage this well so that way at the end of your road you can hear well done my good and faithful servant thanks for joining us we'll hope to see you next time thank you again for listening to wealth well done be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player and together we'll continue to improve our relationship with money and our effectiveness in stewarding it well